This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, folks? My Take Radio episode 124 for Thursday, January 19th, 2012. The intro music you just heard was Brodus Clay's intro music, Somebody Call His Mama. You can find that on iTunes and a couple of other locations as well. I know it's made its way on YouTube and a few other places, but I figured I would share that only because it's such a crazy gimmick and it's a actually a catchy tune, so I figured I would use it this week. The caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number 347-324-3541. Let's get right into it. We got a lot of housekeeping to discuss. Feedback line, as always, if you have any questions or would like to leave a comment to be played on air, 347-815-0687, 347-8150-MTR. All right, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. First off, I want to talk about yesterday. Of course, for those of you that went to mytakeradio.com yesterday, you saw that the site was blacked out in reg- in response to what's going on with SOPA and PIPA. For those of you unaware, it is legislation being passed by um, our government, which allows copyright holders to pretty much shut down websites if they have copyrighted works on their sites for for instance and this is an extreme example um you can have uh, some some fight clips from the ufc on your site and if the ufc doesn't like it and they file a claim you'll be asked to remove the content or your site can possibly be shut down obviously if you want information please make sure to go to your local media outlets to get more information about sopa and pipa i gave it I gave a description in you know in, in the short version, but definitely get informed myself um, and a couple of other smaller sites, Wikipedia as well, Reddit, all blacked out yesterday showing support against SOPA and PIPA. So for those of you that were curious as to why the site was blacked out yesterday, that would be why. Um, some people actually surprised me by messaging me that something was wrong with the site as opposed to just reading what was on the screen. Uh, you know, I can't I can't account for that stuff. It it's pretty much some people just aren't informed and don't keep up with the times and that's fine. I can't blame them, but to email me and pretty much to email me and pretty much say that the site was broken or that something was going on is, is kind of messed up. I think get informed people don't don't email me telling me the site is broken without reading what's on the black screen first i also noticed i had a pop-up here that there is an issue with stitcher i mean with stitcher with mixler and simulcasting so for those of you that are trying to listen to the show via mixler 
do us a favor and just listen via the Blog Talk Radio feed, or if not, just wait for the episode to be archived. It seems that Mixler is experiencing some, some strange problems with their streaming server, so if you are trying to get it via the simulcast, it is out of commission at the moment. I did want to also cite something else regarding not so much what was going on with the site being blacked out yesterday, but uh, just uh, something I wanted to discuss with the show in general. Starting in February, we will start doing at least probably two weeks out of February. Uh, no live shows pre-recorded, as I've been saying, uh, broken broken up by segment. There's going to be a couple of tweaks, though. We, I may be doing the, those, mic, those mini shows or micro shows, however you want to call them, with different people. Um, I may do the gaming one with Slick one week, do the gaming one with uh, a, spe- a past guest. Same thing with MMA, same thing with wrestling, same thing with movies. I figured that way it'll keep things fresh. And as I said, this is an experiment that will be happening probably for two weeks in February. Be on the lookout on our Facebook fan page and on Twitter, and I'll keep you guys informed about that. Right now, though, there will be live shows for the month of January and probably for two weeks out of February. This is all uh, a pilot program, so to speak, an experiment. So if you don't see a live show, just update your iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you're using, and you'll be able to get those smaller episodes. I did want to talk about MTR being nominated for a Shorty Award. Head over to Shorty, shortyawards.com and you can nominate MTR under either radio, web show, or gaming. Um, it, it Usually every year we get nominated and whatever. I, I invite people that use Twitter to vote for us if they like what we do. Uh, we appreciate all the votes. It's not like we're going to come in there and beat people to death and take a spot, but... It's something worth promoting because, you know, I take pride in being nominated by some of my peers. I have noticed a couple of people reaching out, uh, specifically asking to be nominated. And, you know, those, those that have reciprocated and nominated us and looked out for us, of course, if I if I enjoy your work, I will in turn do the same. But don't not communicate with us and then just pop out of the woodwork asking us because I'm pretty much going to tell you to go fuck yourself. Simple as that. But obviously those people who we support and we enjoy what they do, we will gladly nominate them for a Shorty Award. So head over to shorty, shortyawards.com and throw, throw a vote our way. Like I said, either for gaming or web show or radio. For some reason, my phone chooses to be fucking loud. I apologize if that came out over the air. Also, MTR 4.0 will be launching in February. Just a couple of tweaks that need to be done. We pretty much have a layout set, but um, it will be launching in February. When? A specific date? I don't know, but you guys are going to just go on the site one day and it's going to be completely different. There's going to be a lot of changes with regards to how we break out out our content. We're going to be introducing some new stuff and trimming out some of the fat of certain things that just aren't really generating traffic the way they should be and just not getting the attention they deserve. So, of course, that'll be happening next month. Last but not least, as many of you know, and I mention every week, My Take Radio is on Stitcher. You can stream MTR episodes through the Stitcher app on your iOS, Android, WebOS, or BlackBerry devices. Just head over to stitcher.com forward slash My Take. 
Enter my take in the promo code and you may be eligible to win $100. I'm very happy to say that Stitcher will also be available in Ford vehicles later on this year. So you'll actually be able to stream episodes of MTR through your Ford vehicles. I know some of you own Fords. Our very own Slick has one. So he'll be able to stream the show via the Stitcher app. So be on the lookout for that. Get glue, you know the deal, check in, show your support. Maybe at some point you'll get a sticker, maybe not, who the fuck knows. T-shirts, we have a couple of MTR t-shirts up, a couple of new ones at some point will get on there, but head over to our t-shirt store on mytakeradio.com, order yourself a shirt or a hoodie, show your support for MTR that way. And lastly, we have our Amazon affiliate store, all the... Stuff we talk about on the show, you can order through the Amazon affiliate store. Same reliable service as always from Amazon, but you end up helping out MTR as well. So if you do any shopping on Amazon, especially a lot of shopping, go through our shop, help us out. Anything that comes from that actually goes goes to better the site, better the equipment, events, etc. So help us out that way. MTR behind the mic, MTR beyond the mic, and the Minority Film Report We'll all be back very soon. We actually have some guests lined up for MTR Behind the Mic and for Beyond the Mic as well. And we had a sit-down Slick and I talking about bringing back the Minority Film Report. We're going to do things a little differently, though. It's not it's not going to be all B-rated, you know, all B-movies, but we're going to try and do different things. We're going to try and do some some blockbusters, some major stuff, and some retro stuff as well. In addition to that, the Gamefly Q review has has been very popular since I've started doing it. Um, I finished Knight's Contract and Assassin's Creed 2, so um, you will be seeing those at some point this weekend. I will tell you guys in brief, um, Assassin's Creed 2 was fantastic. If you haven't played it, I'm sure many of you have. For me, it fell through the cracks, hence Gamefly Q review. Also, Knight's Contract... Beautiful in theory, shitty in execution. I'll just leave you with that, and you guys can read the rest of that this weekend. Slick has just informed me that he actually did a solo MFR uh, minority film report for the gem known as Camel Spiders. So be on the lookout for that at some point this weekend as well. Camel Spiders on the minority film report. All right. We're going to talk UFC 142. We're going to talk about Monday Night Raw. We got some gaming news. We got some what-the-fuck movie news, including a really big fuck-up from Chuck Norris. Yes, Chuck Norris done fucked up. You guys are going to get a kick out of that. But let's get into what I wanted to talk about to open up the show this week. And that's actually something that many of you are going to get freaked out about. And it's probably going to be the coming of the apocalypse once I say this. But... I actually would like to give kudos to GameStop this week for once. For once, I don't want to set their store on fire or shoot their employees in the face with a 12-gauge. I actually would like to give some props to one particular GameStop in Roosevelt Field. Not the shitty one by Build-A-Bear with the the goateed assholes in there and the fatzos in there. Not them. This GameStop is a small hole-in-the-wall GameStop in the middle of the mall... And the reason I went in there is the following. Many of you know that I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big MMA fan. Obviously, I cover it on the show, but I also like to play the MMA video games as well, including EA Sports MMA and UFC Undisputed. Now, THQ, of course, with, in conjunction with GameStop to fuck gamers over, 
released a pre-order for UFC Undisputed 3, which would allow you to get Nick Diaz and a couple of other fighters if you bought the game, if you pre-order the game at GameStop. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a big Nick Diaz fan. He's fighting for the for the interim belt against Carlos Condit. Him not being in the game kind of alienates some of those great matches you want to have. So I decided to walk in there and pre-order the game. In the same instance that I pre-ordered that, I also pre-ordered Asura's Wrath because I wanted the Asura's Wrath muggle or bobblehead or whatever the fuck you want to call it because I'm a sucker for little tchotchke shits like that. Plus, they look cool on my desk. Anyway, as I walked up, there were there was two guys in there. One guy who, who falls under the dude bro contingent where every sentence either begins or ends with dude or bro. He seemed to be the manager and another guy... Nonetheless, walked up to the register, said, look, I want to pre-order these two games. Homeboys were like, okay, for what systems? Broke that down. They didn't offer me any pre-orders. They didn't offer me any shit. And, um, you know, my wife mentioned in passing, you know, wow, things went smoothly in here. And the guy was like, why? What happened? And I mentioned my connect with my connectimals with Bears incident from the other GameStop and the guy was like, wow, you know, I'd like to apologize for that store and for, and for you having such a shitty experience. But, you know, they could have looked on the computer and seen the game was there. Everybody was buying it because of the new update, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pleasant experience. Didn't offer me shit. Didn't ask me to pre-order more shit. He just said, here's 10 bu- you know, 10 bucks for your pre-orders. Thanks for coming. Again, we apologize for your, shit- for your shitty experience in, in the store around the corner now like i said this isn't something i do all the time but uh, real recognizes real and i gotta give props to the to the manager and to his employee not only for trying to not for not only being up front but just giving me my my transaction and sending me on my fucking way it's ridiculous as as insane as it is and just to elaborate on this further because a lot of people ask me why I hate GameStop. I don't hate GameStop stores in particular. I hate GameStop as a corporation because of the shit they pull. I also hate the lack of information and training that corporate gives their employees where they just figure, oh, you know about games? Here, sell some. So with that said, I don't hate every GameStop. As a matter of fact, I know a couple of, of really awesome individuals that work at certain GameStops, uh, especially a friend of mine who works at a GameStop in, uh, let's just say, in a certain mall in Hicksville. We'll just leave it at that. Guy is an awesome individual, and he does great work. Same thing. His employees don't try to fucking beat me over the head or fist fuck me with pre-orders. They just take my money, give me my receipt, and send me on my way. And... Sometimes that's all you need. So props to GameStop in Roosevelt Field. Not the big one, but the smaller one by the Timberland store. Next thing I wanted to talk about was something that is is totally not what I what I cover on the show, but I found a lot of humor in this and it's basically I want it, it basically concerns the Food Network and one of its personalities, namely Paula Dean. Now, those of you familiar with Paula Dean know that she cooks some of the most unhealthy shit in the game. She she throws tons of maple syrup, tons of butter, you know, shit that should kill you but is so awesome to eat. She mindlessly cooks with y'all and 
half a stick of butter and blah, 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 and small talk. And she's entertaining to watch. Well, turns out she has type 2 diabetes. That's correct. Paula Dean has type 2 diabetes. Uh, she's had it for, I believe, two or three years now, which rumors have said she had. She came clean with it. And in the same breath as coming clean that she had diabetes, she decided to become a spokesperson for a drug for diabetes to do her part to raise awareness. Now, the funny thing about this is the fact that so many people feel that she was disingenuous in her actions in promoting all these recipes, knowing that they were potentially life-threatening and detrimental to one's health. Now, here's the funny thing about that. All these people that are that are raising their red flags and fucking complaining, if any of you motherfuckers hold television personalities accountable for things that happen in your everyday life, please do yourself a favor, pour yourself a glass of Drano, drink it, and proceed to kill yourself. Because it's it's absurd. It is absurd that you would sit here and and cast stones because some woman from the South decides that she's going to gargle a jug of butter and, and wash it down with some maple syrup, and because she has diabetes, it's her fault that you are a fat ass. It's like you going to sue McDonald's because you're a gluttonous piece of shit. It makes no sense. The only person who's who, who's who has the right to complain about something like that is somebody like Anthony Bourdain who's been very vocal about what she's done, feeling that it's very hypocritical to promote that lifestyle considering that it's killing you. And he's one of her peers. He's free to talk about it. I don't necessarily agree with it, but he is one of her peers. The fact is that as a human being, you have freedom of choice. If you choose to make a peach cobbler with five gallons of sugar and three gallons of maple syrup, and you don't think that it's fucking you up inside, you are an idiot. Simple as that. And the fact that so many people jumped on this bandwagon, oh, you know, Paula Dean is an asshole, and this, that, and the third, it, it, it bugged me to fuck out. If that bitch wants to bathe in butter and gargle fucking pancake syrup, go right ahead. Because when she keels over, she'll leave her sons a fuckload of money. One of her sons is actually doing a show about cooking healthier alternatives of her recipes. So, needless to say, they know how to make money. It's like John Cena making money from the I Hate Cena shirts. Paula Dean is taking a bad situation and still getting paid. She just became a spokesperson for anti-diabetes medication. Her son started his own show cooking lighter versions of her recipes. It keeps her name out there. And like I said, she keels over tomorrow. Hey, she gave me some enjoyable television. But for, for, but for people to hold media personalities accountable for their fuck-ups is the same as people blaming violence on video games same shit people just need to get themselves educated and need to figure out that there are healthier ways to fucking live and stop looking to blame the mcdonald's the starbucks the only motherfucker that's to blame for you being an obese piece of shit that rides around target all fucking day like the world needs to give give way to you is yourself because nothing is more annoying than these fat gravy train motherfuckers riding on the little fucking moped through Target, and you're supposed to part the Red Sea for this morbidly obese piece of shit that couldn't put down the chicken because, you know, 
it's Paula Dean's fault that you ride around in a fucking four-wheeled Segway because you're the size of Jabba the Hutt. Give me a fucking break. It's disgusting and absurd. If you're an unhealthy piece of shit and you don't have a thyroid problem or some major health condition, then it's your own fucking fault. Take accountability and stop blaming it on everybody else. It's ridiculous. It it, it appalls me. And the fact was that this was in the news all week. Whether Anthony Bourdain's comments or the fact that, you know, she signed this endorsement with this drug... Blah blah blah. It's it's appalling. It really is appalling that these that these people hide behind this type of shit. And the Food Network is no better because they got a new show coming out called Fat Chef, which is about chefs that obviously are fat and are trying to get healthy. Think Biggest Loser with cooking. No, Americans as a whole, if you're fat, you made yourself that way. Simple as that. McDonald's didn't do it. KFC didn't do it. Sitting in front of the TV didn't do it. You did it to yourself. If you can't get up and walk around your block twice a day to as, as just a, a small step towards good health, then something is seriously fucking wrong with you. And for the people that say that video games are to blame as well, you guys need to get your head out of your ass. Simple as that. All right. Let's not beat up this monologue any further. I just wanted to share that with you guys because I'm a, I, I, you know, I like watching the Food Network and the fact that people blew this out of proportion was, was mind boggling to me. But let's get into some MMA. Alright, let's open things up with UFC 142 Rio with the main event, Jose Aldo against Chad Mendes and Vitor Belfort versus Anthony Rumble Johnson. Also on that card, Mike Masenzio, Husamar Palhares, uh, Carlo Prater and Eric Silva, Edson Barboza and Terry Etim were the main pay-per-view fights, which I want to get into because there's a lot of crazy shit that happened. Um, first off... Opening opening bout with Edson Barboza, Terry Etim was ridiculous. Just the way the fight ended with a highlight reel spinning heel kick from Edson Barboza in round three. Barboza already had great performances in the first and second round, in my opinion. He looked really good in that fight. Spinning heel kick caught Terry Etim square on the jaw, and it was lights out. Fell over like a tree. It was amazing. Second fight, Carlo Prater taking on Eric Silva. Eric Silva looked really good at the start of the fight, and he ended up securing the victory. But what ended up happening was the victory was taken away, and Silva was disqualified due to Mario Yamazaki saying that Eric Silva uh, delivered multiple shots to the back of Prater's head. Based on the replay, though, it looked like maybe one shot Two at most hit the back of his head, but definitely some shoddy officiating there. I think that he, you know, one, if one or two shots got in, maybe one at most, but the majority of them were all clean shots. To give this guy the DQ was ridiculous. Um, You know, a lot of people said that this is one of those instances where MMA deserves instant replay, and I definitely have to agree 110%. 
just because you're going to wait for the guy to finish the fight and allow him to celebrate and then take that victory away. Carlo Prater ends up securing the victory via DQ, 29 seconds, round one. Mike Masenzio, Husamar Palhares. If it's one thing I've learned watching Husamar Palhares fight is that leg locks are his bread and butter. And as soon as he gets you in one, it is game over. And just like that, Mike Masenzio fell victim to it. They traded a few kicks to start, at which point Masenzio got clipped in, in the balls. They had to stop the fight briefly. Uh, fight continues. Paul Juarez rushes forward, takes Masenzio down, finishes him off real quick with a deep heel hook. It was ridiculous, academic, and just a phenomenal performance by Paul Harris. Leg locks are, like I said, his bread and butter. Every victor, The majority of his victories have been via that submission. And the, the crazy part is that you can scout it a thousand different ways, and he finds a thousand different ways to lock it in. Uh, an outstanding performance. The co-main event was supposed to be a middleweight bout between Vitor Belfort and Anthony Rumble Johnson. Turns out, Mr. Johnson had some issues making weight. Originally, Anthony Rumble Johnson fought at 170, decided to go up to 185. Ends up coming in, tipping the scales at, all, at, at 200 pounds. Clearly, severely overweight. It, it's been said that medically he was unable to cut the weight, whatever the reason may be. So they Vitor Belfort ended up taking the fight, and of course a portion of Anthony Johnson's purse... And the fight ended up being a catchweight bout. Vitor Belfort came in at 197. Anthony Johnson came in at 204 pounds. Uh, as soon as the fight started, it was ridiculous that, you know, Anthony Johnson comes in doing working, trying to work in some kicks. Uh, Belfort, of course, wasn't hearing it. Ended up catching Johnson and slamming him down. At which point, um, they there was uh, some some groundwork done. Both fighters, you know, trying to get the advantage. Vitor Belfort in front of the home crowd, though, secures the submission via rear naked choke. It was it was crazy, just the the whole build-up for this fight. I was really excited to see Rumble fight at 185. When I heard he couldn't make weight, I said to myself, eh, you know, maybe a pound or two, they'll give him time to cut the weight. Turns out that wasn't the case. It was It was substantially more... And as a result of, of him coming in overweight for the third time, he was actually released from the organization. I don't know what's going on with Rumble medically. Maybe it was a medical issue. Maybe it was a team issue or just poor weight management. But I'm, I'm definitely bummed to see him gone. He, he was an exciting prospect, a, a great fighter to watch, always delivered impressive fights. And I was really looking forward to see him do some damage at 185, but Vitor Belfort took care of that by sending him home and pretty much giving him his his punch out for the UFC. What happens with Johnson at at this point? Who knows? Maybe he should get up with uh, Mike Dolce, do the Dolce diet, which has been uh, changing the the physiques of countless fighters and also non-fighters. I recommend if you're looking for a a different type of weight loss program. You look up the Dolce Diet. That's not even an endorsement. The guy knows his shit. Uh, D-O-L-C-E Diet. I think it's DolceDiet.com. The guy's done phenomenal work with countless UFC fighters, including Keith Jardine, uh, who he helped cut a ton of weight 
for his strike force fight. Maybe Anthony Johnson needs to look him up. Maybe he has um, issues with him with retaining water. Who knows? But I'm sure um, an organization like Bellator will pick him up. And who knows? We may see an Anthony Johnson Hector Lombard fight, which wouldn't be a bad deal either. Featherweight championship match: Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez. Jose Aldo is 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 really the Anderson Silva of the featherweight division. As soon as that bell rang. It was game on. Aldo coming in, working them kicks, um, trying to take the legs out from Chad Mendes. At one point, uh, Jose Aldo murder, death, kill, flying knee right into the face. It was game over. It was insane, though, because the um, Mendes kept trying to shoot him for the takedown, and every time he shot in, he kept getting met with uh, fists from Jose Aldo. And that knee was vicious. Caught Mendez square in the face, and it was game over. Uh, Jose Aldo proceeded to do uh, the celebration in the crowd a la DDP, which um, I got to credit the guys at 411 Mania for that reference. It is true, Jose Aldo, really the people's champion, ran out of the cage, jumped into the crowd, hoisted on people's shoulders. They were chanting. It was one of the most amazing post-fight celebrations I've seen in mixed martial arts in a long time. It was a fantastic night of fights, just, like I said, hampered by the the Yamazaki situation and the Rumble Johnson weight cut, but I was, I was really impressed, and I know a lot of people watched it on UFC on Xbox Live, which they seem to have finally worked all the bugs out, and again, great card overall and a solid performance from the UFC this time around in Rio. Let's get into some other MMA news. As I said last week, Vitor Belfort and Vandele Silva will be coaching the Ultimate Fighter Brazil, which you'll probably be able to watch on Fuel TV, if I remember correctly. It seems that Vanderlei has gone on record as saying that his rematch with Vitor Belfort will be his last match before he retires. Um, personally, I'm very bummed about this, only because Vanderlei is such a great personality, such a great asset to mixed martial arts. His 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 violent fighting style has been the source of enjoyment for me and countless MMA fans for years, from his days in Pride all the way through the UFC. I, I'm I'm sure you know. Obviously, age catches up with you, but as a fan, I am particularly heartbroken. But I know that him and Vitor Belfort is definitely going to be a war for sure. Hopefully, it's not his last match. Maybe we'll get one more. Maybe we'll get a Vanderlei Rampage match. I would have liked to see that in Japan, honestly, Vanderlei and Rampage instead of uh, Rampage and uh, Ryan Bader, but what can you do? Another fighter contemplating retirement is Kenny Florian due to a back injury which has been causing significant issue for the lightweight slash flyweight slash, I mean, slash featherweight uh, fighter. It seems that he herniated, uh, uh, he has a lumbar herniated disc in his lower back which he suffered in November while weightlifting it hasn't improved doctors are saying that he should really not fight anymore and allow it to heal up they're saying that as of right now it's an estimated six month recovery time for him and I don't know he's been he's been on the fence about coming back due to the injury and it may be career threatening I want to say one thing with Kenny Florian I give him a lot of shit um, just because he runs around jumping from division to division, but I really, as a fan, don't want to see any fighter's career cut short by injury 
or illness just because the fans end up losing a fighter that may give us some more exciting fights or may potentially become a champion in that organization. It's the same thing I said with Brock Lesnar. I don't like Brock Lesnar, the individual. I like Brock Lesnar, the fighter. And I was bummed when his career was practically cut short because of diverticulitis. Same thing I got to say about Kenny Florian as well. I mean, I wish him a speedy recovery and would like to see him fight at least once or twice more. I think he really is one of those guys that has the potential to become a champion. He just has to get his head in the game. But Kenny Florian's involvement in MMA has not ended. On the contrary, he is actually going to be the new color commentator, uh, new color commentator with John Anik on UFC on FX1 this Friday. Anik and Florian are going to be handling broadcasting duties not handled by Goldie and Joe Rogan, which will probably be events on FX and Fuel TV. As of right now, though, it seems that Florian may come back, but. He's always been really good as an analyst, and honestly, I think he would do very well in the color seat. So, I wish him the best of luck with that. And with the, segueing right into UFC FX1, that's this, uh, this, fr- this uh, Friday. That's tomorrow, I should say. January 20th on FX. Definitely a solid, super solid card with a lot of fights that are going to go under the radar for sure. It's going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. On the main card, Pat Barry, Christian Moorcraft, War Pat Barry, big Pat Barry fan, Mike Easton and Jared Papazian, Dwayne Bang Ludwig is taking on Josh Neer, and the main event, Melvin Gillard versus Jim Miller. On the prelims, you're going to see Nick Dennis, Joseph Sandoval, Ryan Jimmo's meeting Carlos Vemela, uh, Daniel Pineda, Pat Schilling, Fabricio Camoz, and Reza Madati, uh, Charlie Brenneman, Daniel Roberts, this guy's name I'm going to mess up. Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Kamal Shalarus. And my boy, Jorge Rivera, taking on Eric Schaefer on the prelims. Make sure to check it out if you have FX tomorrow night. And if you're in Tennessee, head over and check out the event at your local bar. Support the sport. And it's free MMA, folks. Simple as that. Definitely do yourselves a favor and check it out. Personally, super pumped for Pat Barry fighting also pumped for Melvin Gillard and Jim Miller. It's going to be a great fight for sure. I think that Miller and uh, Gillard have the potential for a fight of the night across the board. Barry and Moorcraft is, is going to be ridiculous. Pat Barry's coming in with his, with his Muay Thai devastating leg kicks, looking to chop down the larger Christian Moorcraft. Jorge Rivera, I always got a root for uh, my fellow Puerto Ricans, so props to him as well. Make sure to check that out, UFC on FX. The UFC is also cranking out the events on Fox as well. UFC on Fox 3 is slated to air May 5th. As of right now, they are looking at potential locations and also the main event for that particular card. If they do it May 5th, it will be the same night as Floyd Mayweather's fight against either Miguel Cotto or Saul Alvarez. This has happened before with the first UFC on Fox event, which took place on the night Pacquiao took on Juan Manuel Marquez. But um, the the UFC card ended early, got 8.8 million viewers for the fight, 57 million overall. I mean, 5.7 million overall. And it was just a great night. I think that Dana White respecting... 
boxing and looking out for for the boxing cards is is a class act on his part just because combat sports are combat sports i will say this that if you're doing something with fox you got to make sure to deliver stellar cards that are going to give you even bigger uh viewing numbers than the championship fight you just did personally i would have liked to have seen maybe Overeem and Junior Dos Santos on the May 5th card. I don't know if that can happen, but that would be the fight that would definitely cement um, the organization. Once again, another heavyweight title fight. Uh, Junior Dos Santos, obviously, already well-known from his previous Fox appearance. Alistair Overeem coming in. uh, Massive freak show human being that the Fox audience would definitely want to check out. I don't know. Sounds like a solid bet for me, but who knows? UFC 142 fight bonuses were handed out 65 grand apiece. Edson Barboza ended up getting two of them, knockout of the night and fight of the night. So he got he took home $130,000. Husamar Palhares got submission of the night, nice crisp 65 grand for him. And um definitely props to those guys, well deserved honors and 65 grand is is nice chunk of change. In other news, MMA Fighting reported that King Mo tested positive for steroids, according to the Nevada State Athletic Commission. As of right now, King Mo's punishment has not been announced, but um, obviously it's not a good time for Strike Force. Chris Cyborg tested positive recently. She's got a one-year ban from the California State Athletic Commission. King Mo, most of you know, fought Lorenz Larkin on January 7th and was expected to compete for the vacant Strike Force 205 title, but clearly... His suspension will be happening soon. King Mo's gone on record as saying that he did not cheat. He said he'll cheat at video games, but he won't cheat at fighting. And he plans to appeal these findings. I sincerely hope that that's not the case. I'm I'm a big fan of Mo's. I think King Mo is a, a great asset to the sport, another colorful personality, much like Rampage, much like Brock Lesnar, much like Chael Sonnen, that bring attract casual fans just based on their... On, on their showmanship, and King Mo is definitely one of those guys, the guy's a US Olymp- uh, former U.S. Olympian, I think that maybe something happened, maybe he took a supplement he shouldn't have taken, and if that's the case, he definitely br- needs to bring that to the attention of the commission, first of all, secondly, if if it is true and it was just that he took roids, it's it's not a good look, man, especially with him wanting to go to the UFC to fight to fight Rampage. Really bummed about it, but I'll continue to support King Mo. Much like Cyborg, shit happens, and they go out there and bleed for us, the fans. And shit happens. I'm not gonna. I I can't sit here and say that it's right or wrong because I'm not in a position to judge them as individuals. I will say that performance enhancing drugs in professional sports, if it's not something across the board, it will give an unfair advantage to many athletes, and it's unfortunate because. If, if 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 not everybody's using, then those that are clean are going to be the ones that are not going to reap the rewards of their athleticism because of guys that are taking shortcuts. It's unfortunate, but it's just the way of the world. I hope King Mo gets it straightened out and we get to see him fight in strike force sooner rather than later. Shortly after the King Mo announcement, the UFC and Zufa went on record saying that all potential UFC and Strike Force fighters will be required to pass pre-contract drug screenings for performance-enhancing drugs. This new change will include Ultimate Fighter contestants and is put into effect immediately. Obviously, this comes fresh off the heels of 
the failed drug test for Cyborg and for King Mo. Uh, Lorenzo Fertitta went on record as saying, we're committed to the health and safety of our athletes and we take it very seriously. We already work closely with athletic commissions to protect our athletes and now we're taking it one step further. We're going to test any potential UFC or Strikeforce fighters before finalizing their contracts. This shows that we don't want performance-enhancing drugs in our sports. I think that's a great first step. I will say this, though, and for those of you that that are familiar with performance-enhancing drugs, you know that there are masking agents and ways to get around the system. Hopefully, this will deter athletes from doing that, but unless you come up with a more thorough level of testing it's going to be something that is not going to be as prevalent but will probably continue to happen simple as that that's going to wrap up the mma news for this week and we're going to head right into the wrestling news with this yes sir we promised you a great main event here tonight That's right. We are coming for you. And of course, WWE Raw this past Monday, Martin Luther King Day, they give the typical Martin Luther King intro, which they really should come up with something new just so it doesn't look dated. Um, Raw opens up with the return of Mick Foley. Mick Foley comes out, cuts his cheap pop. Cuts himself a nice little promo. Funny thing about Mick Foley. Always entertaining. Comes back. Looks like Oswald Cobblepot and Batman Returns. I was like, what the fuck happened to you, Mick? What happened? In the same instance that I said that, he decided to cut a promo saying that he will be competing in this year's Royal Rumble. And that he would like to compete at WrestleMania. This brings out Mr. Ziggles, Vicky Guerrero. Cut themselves a nice little promo. Etc, etc, etc. CM Punk comes out, cuts a, a, an awesome promo to open things up, and I gotta say this, Mick Foley's promo ability, fantastic. His ring shape, this go-around, not so much. First match of the night, the Goya Brothers, Epico and Primo, taking on Air Boom, which, Air Boom, it was funny because they lost their titles on a house show. And the Goya brothers with uh, Miss Fanta herself, Rosa Mendez, are, you know, your tag team champions now. Now, in seeing that, title changes happen at house shows once in a while. You don't really, you know, you don't bat an eye at them. They're just something that comes, you know, with the business. Turns out, Evan Bourne popped again for smoking weed, for using drugs, 60-day suspension, Puts the tag team division in flux once again. So they had to hot shot the belts to the Goya brothers. Now I have no issue with, uh, you know, Goya A and Goya B having the belts. On the contrary, both guys, very talented, have the opportunity to do great things in the tag team division. I would have liked a longer program with them and a feud, but obviously suspending Evan Bourne puts a big damper on that, which fucks that up. And it raises the other question, which is there aren't viable tag teams in the WWE currently. There really aren't. You had Air Boom, the Goya Brothers, 
and occasionally some mismatched tag team that you throw together. WWE had some of the best tag teams growing up. And I can I can name dozens of them. Legion of Doom, Demolition, Los Boricuas, Heart Foundation, Killer Bees. You can even go as far as the Mega Powers, the Brothers of Destruction, um, Men on a Mission. The list goes on. Great tag teams that had uh, great impact in the WWE. Now, one of the things I had said was, if you had wanted to do the whole monster heel with Brodus Clay, I would have put him with Mark Henry. Clearly now, since he has such an awesome gimmick, and I say that loosely, um, clearly that that's not going to work. But you really got to start building the tag team division because there's so many great competitors in your organization that would benefit from increased exposure as a tag team. Guys like Tyson Kidd. Tyson Kidd and, and Little, Little Bulldog... Um, were fantastic together as the New Heart Foundation. But automatically, they they felt that they had to break them up because that's what the WWE does. Instead of booking long-term, they book short-term, um, short-term and they break up some really promising tag teams. I would, I would honestly, you know, you take, um, you take a guy like Justin Gabriel, super talented, not that great on the mic, He's a guy that you pair with a with with another wrestler who has great mic skills, and you do something with them, something credible. Take a take a guy like uh, like Michael McGillicuddy, you know, Mr. Perfect Son. You can do something with him in a tag team, maybe tag team him and 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 Ted DiBiase Jr. together. Maybe bring up Mike DiBiase and tag him, put him with his brother, and form a new Money Inc. There's so many poten- There's so many potential things that can be done with the tag team division. I remember WWE wanted to bring in beer money at one point, which would have been great. I think that the focus on tag team wrestling is lost, and in its place is mismatched teams, shitty divas matches, and an increased focus on really, really lame segments, like Zack Ryder and Eve Torres, or the the shit with Kane. I mean, I understand it's angle advancement to some degree, but what they're doing with Zack Ryder is not helping his character. Anyway, let me not beat that up any further. Um, they ended up doing an impromptu, not well, not impromptu, but Zack Ryder defended his U.S. title against Jack Swagger. Um, of course, if you're smart and you know your wrestling booking, you knew that Zack Ryder was going to lose the belt, which he did. And putting the belt on Swagger, you know, he's a good wrestler. Vicky Guerrero is a great mouthpiece for him. Zack Ryder is so over, in my opinion, he doesn't need a belt per se, but it's a culmination of all his hard work, and to take it away from him so quickly, whether the rumors about him having uh, poor ratings are are true or not, the guy is, is over with the fans, and the belt helps him do that. Not only that, but you have to, it allows you to set up great feuds with some of these guys. Why aren't you putting more mid-card guys in feuds with Zack Ryder that can help him grow as a performer and these guys compete on that secondary level. It boggles my mind. Next up, we had a Divas match with Alicia Fox and Dummy Dummy against the Bella Twins. Alicia Fox was playing the role of Eve Torres this week, and I say that because this is pretty much the same match every fucking week. Every week. That's what we get. Alicia Fox, Kelly Kelly, and the Bellas. What happened to Caitlyn 
and AJ Lee. I mean, they're on SmackDown, but you rarely see them. Natalia, Beth Phoenix, nothing. You see, you get nothing. It, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. I will go into one of the high points of the evening, and that was with our truth, with um, some very interesting Disneyland pictures, and. Um, I, I have to commend our truth He had a, a solid, solid promo. I laughed quite a bit at the silliness that was there. Of course, The Miz got involved, attacked our truth We had an over-the-top rope challenge with Wade Barrett, The Miz, Sheamus, and our truth which our truth ended up winning. Funny thing is, all four of these guys, even our truth as much as sometimes I give them some shit, are great potential main eventers. R-Truth was a former TNA world champion. The guy had a solid gimmick when he was in TNA. And I don't know. He's just he's just stuck in mid-card hell. I think he has the potential to do really great things. Maybe even step into the main event slot. I just feel that his gimmick, his his jigaboo gimmick that they give him, his his stereotypical black man gimmick. I like the crazy stuff. Him being crazy is great. But cut his hair, put him in a suit, do something different. Set him apart from everybody else and stop relying on, you know, the blackface stereotypes. Like I say, the racial overcoats, they're not necessary for so many of these guys. Sheamus, obviously, we've gone beyond him being Irish, which is fine. Wade Barrett, we've gone beyond him being English. Occasionally, it's referenced, but it's not a major part of his gimmick. John Cena yells at uh, good old John Laurinaitis backstage. Uh, we get a non-title match with Swagger and Cena. Cena goes crazy, beats the fuck out of Jack Swagger. Kane does his, you are becoming evil, John Cena. No one cares. Fast forward, move on. Brodus Clay comes out, kills JTG dead. Um, it was funny because there were... Some very, very interesting mannerisms from Brodus Clay. A little bit of jiggling. Um, just some really funny stuff. I really liked uh, a part of the match where he headbutted him. And he's like, should I get him? Ended up uh, killing JTG dead. Once again, a squash match. But um, I think Brodus Clay's gimmick, if, if done right, you're going to get another super over face like Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati. But as I've said in previous episodes, it's not so much getting over with the initial gimmick. It's taking that gimmick to the next level to where people want to give a fuck about you. And that's the problem. While right now, it's flash in the pan. It's cute. It's funny. People like it. But what about six months, six months from now? What do you have planned for him? And the dancers, you know, are the dancers going to start getting more involved? Maybe you start putting them in, you know, divas matches. Do something. Start giving the dancers personality as well, especially because one of them, Naomi Knight, was already on NXT. So take advantage of that. Put that out there. Maybe start doing and shifting things away where you can take a guy like Brodus. He could win, I don't know, maybe win the IC belt or the U.S. title down the road. Maybe one of the backup dancers, boom, she gets the women, the women's title. And start really investing into almost a mini faction. Maybe give Brodus another guy, a secondary guy, who can be a tag team partner if you don't want to put him in the mid-card. I mean, this, this is a time when you can do so much stuff with his character that you can not only extend the longevity of the character, but 
diversified enough that he's not pigeonholed in the stupid, you know, dancing hippopotamus gimmick. That's all I got to say. Danny Bryan comes out as the slow burn heel turn continues, cuts a promo about AJ Lee being killed dead by the big show. Uh, we get a six-man main event, Danny Bryan, Chris Jericho, CM Punk, Henry, piss-colored David Otunga, and Mr. Ziggles. Chris Jericho comes out like a fucking lunatic. Uh, great teasing on his part to tag into the match. When he's finally tagged into the match, he runs around, makes the crowd go nuts, then tags Daniel Bryan and leaves. And I have to admit, while it is a little hokey, it was hilarious when I saw it. I was like, holy shit, Chris Jericho just clowned everybody. Really good stuff. Uh, Mick Foley ended up coming out since CM Punk was pretty much left alone, helping CM Punk get the victory. We got we had a Mr. Sacco, which of course was delivered to David Otunga because if he's in a match, you know he's the motherfucker that's eating the pinfall. John Laurinaitis comes out and proceeds to remind everyone that he is the executive vice president of WWE Talent Relations. Oh, I fucked up my voice. Sorry about that. I guess I should have drank water first. Ooh, fuck. Anyway. John Laurinaitis comes out, bitches about the match. CM Punk cuts one of the most amazing fucking promos in the last few weeks. Just murders John Laurinaitis on the mic. This leads to John Laurinaitis getting chewed out by Mick Foley. Laurinaitis snaps, busts Mick Foley over the head with a mic, and that closes out Raw. First off, the CM Punk promo adds a new dimension to his feud with John Laurinaitis. John Laurinaitis admitting that he's going to screw over CM Punk was also was also interesting. Mick Foley getting clubbed over the head opens up a couple of possibilities as well. Maybe Mick Foley will become the Raw GM after John Laurinaitis loses his fucking mind and cracks a performer over the head. It's going to be very interesting watching Raw leaning up to WrestleMania. Alright, let's get into some other wrestling news. MMA Fighting reported that CM Punk will not be escorting Chael Sonnen to the Octagon for the UFC on Fox 2 event. Turns out that CM Punk confirmed that Vince McMahon pulled him from making the cameo appearance. Sources are saying that the original deal for him to appear at the event was not brokered with the UFC, but was an arrangement between Punk and Sonnen. Sonnen invited the champ to appear. Obviously, he took off from a house show to do so, but the WWE decided against it. In something I really wanted to share with you guys, I was reading Entertainment Weekly, and Stephanie McMahon was interviewed in a piece, and she said that WWE has 16 writers, plus Vince McMahon, and that Vince always has the final say. She said as follows, Vince is very open to listening and discussing different ideas, but once he makes his final decision, he's the boss. She went on to add that she has a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Vince every week. And she noted that WWE is looking for ways to develop programming and original content for YouTube. Now, I will say this. Saying that you need 16 writers for your product is a clear example of why shit sometimes goes in the toilet. You have 16 writers. I bet you a majority of them are soap opera writers. Uh, maybe a handful of them have experience with professional wrestling. 
And as such, if you require 16 people to write two shows and a pay-per-view, there's something seriously wrong there, especially when Vince McMahon has final say anyway. 16 different ideas come together to move storylines forward. Out of those 16 ideas, Vince will probably approve maybe 10 of them as, as a rough estimate. Fact is that I, I really feel that 16 writers for... You know, two live shows and a pay-per-view and maybe NXT. Well, two live shows, NXT and Superstars. I don't know. I mean, most of that stuff also involves booking, you know, agents which help book the matches. But in terms of storyline writing, with the exception of maybe CM Punk and, I don't know, maybe The Undertaker, John Cena, and The Rock... I really feel that the writers don't do a great job in certain aspects of wrestling. I honestly think that the performers end up selling the match better than the promos and the interviews do. Just because some of them seem so hokey, especially ones involving guys like, you know, Alberto Del Rio, which is is usually shit, or Eve Torres, or the Bella Twins. I, I just think 16 writers shows that way too many hands in the fucking cookie jar. And as I said, to close things out, Evan Bourne suspended 60 days effective Tuesday, January 17th for his second violation of the company wellness policy. Evan Bourne did comment on Twitter saying, sorry, y'all, sometimes we become our own worst enemy. Clearly, with the WWE three strike rule, Evan Bourne has one more opportunity to clear himself and redeem himself in the eyes of management. But if he does fail one more test it's so long and i guarantee you he'll end up in tna or he may end up in dragon gate or evolve who knows but it's it's a shame because evan Bourne is a fantastic talent has an amazing finisher the crowd loves him if he sabotages his own career for being a pothead it's it's really fucked up that's all i gotta say all right guys that's gonna wrap up the wrestling segment i'm gonna take a commercial break Get some water, because obviously impersonating John Laurinaitis fucks me up. And when we come back, we will talk some video games right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show, because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. open things up with a shout out to our friends at the traveling circus which are doing a marvel versus capcom tournament on the west coast and they're also hosting an after party as well 
Uh, great opportunity for those of you that are fighting game enthusiasts. They're giving away $1,000 in cash, $3,000 in prizes. That's going to be happening Saturday, February 25th. Some of the pro players confirmed for that event are Justin Wong, Viscant, Flo from Team Evil Geniuses. Uh, Viscant is the 2011 Marvel vs. Capcom 3 World Champion. Dios X, who is number one ranked in the world according to Xbox Live. Noah Solis, the uh, nine-year-old prodigy uh, fanatic. And Knives, who is on the come-up. That, that event is actually sponsored by Osiris, Mad Cats, Triumph United MMA, and Auto Trend. They also let, told me that they will be doing an after-party 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., uh, the tournament is from 12 to 8 p.m. That's going to be happening at Frubble, 9628 Carlton Hills Boulevard um, in California in the San Diego Escondido area. If you guys want more info, check out our friends at the Traveling Circus, thetravelingcircus.net forward slash after dash party dot html. Check it out there and you can get the full story at that event. We're going to be mentioning it a couple of times leading up to the event only because we have such a great relationship with some of the fighting game community members and also because Traveling Circus was kind enough to help us promote help us promote our Brawling for Boobies tournament. So again, head over to the travelingcircus.net to get further info about the event which will be happening February 25th. Let's get into the main video game news of the evening. Namco Bandai has announced the collector's edition for Ninja Gaiden 3 or Ninja Gaiden, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, you're going to get that with a figurine of Ryu. You're getting an art book, the soundtrack, and the game, as well as a download voucher for a four-character demo of Dead or Alive 5. You can pre-order that and get access to those exclusives by getting, the, getting it at GameStop or Amazon. But if you do it from Amazon, you'll only be eligible for a two-character demo. Either Hayabusa and Hitomi or Ayane and Hayat. Either way, if you want to get your hands on Dead or Alive 5, as much as I hate to say it, pre-order it through GameStop if you want so you can take advantage of that. In some other news, I was bummed to find out that Max Payne 3 will not be released in March as originally expected. It is now expected to be released in May. As There's a couple of reasons for that. They're stating that one of the reasons is that Take-Two is reporting losses for the fiscal year um, for March, which ends March 31st, so I figure they want to start the new fiscal year off strong with Max Payne 3. As such, you have Max Payne 3 coming out, Bioshock Infinite, Borderlands 2, Spec Ops, XCOM, and a couple of other titles as well, so I'm figuring that Take-Two is looking to start the fiscal year off strong, so I can see why they held off Max Payne 3 game looks really good we got to see some of it at new york comic-con really excited for it bummed i gotta wait till may but allows me to play a couple of other new games before then but max Payne 3 drops in may for those of you that are anxiously awaiting mass effect 3 you'll be able to play the demo on valentine's day so if you want to guarantee pissing off your significant other and not getting laid, make sure to play that demo on Valentine's Day. Otherwise, wait till the day after, or if they're a fellow gamer, take it as an opportunity to enjoy the demo with them. The demo will include both campaign and co-op multiplayer content. It's going to allow players to um, play a little bit of multiplayer. I don't know if it's based on time 
or if it's just going to be a multiplayer level. But um, it's going to also include Connect integration, which will probably be av- available for use throughout the demo. The Connect integration, as of right now, allows players to give out voice commands to their teammates. So, Mass Effect 3, Valentine's Day, Connect integration, get on it. Last but not least, to close out the gaming news, is the official announcement for Resident Evil 6, which was teased earlier this week. Of course, the the trailer and some photos were available as of earlier today. Trailer looks pretty badass, makes me want to get back into it. You'll be able to play as Leon Kennedy and Chris Redfield in this installment. Each character will have their own story in the U.S. and China, respectively. You can expect that on PS3 and 360 on November 20th, and there's also a PC release following at some point shortly thereafter. Looks like Resident Evil is getting a shot in the arm. Congrats to Capcom for bringing back one of their uh, famous franchises. I Like I said, I played Resident Evil, the one with uh, Shiva and Chris Redfield. I believe that's five, and I really didn't like it. Uh, hopefully they will have allowed Run and Gun. I'm not sure, but I will be putting up the trailer and some commentary on MyTakeRadio.com either later tonight or over the weekend. I do have to agree with Slick, though, that Run and Gun is essential because moving at the pace you are moving fucking blows. I also have to mention something that Slick mentioned in the chat, and that's the involvement of Alice from the Resident Evil movies. I I really have to agree with him because you go through the trouble of setting up this mythology and the story for this character who may never see the light of day in a game, which is unfortunate. I think that Alice should be involved considering that she's such an integral part of the Resident Evil film franchise. Why Capcom hasn't done it, I don't know. Would would it do well with her involved? I'm sure it would because casual fans would be like, oh, look, it's the chick from the movie. She's in the game. Might get people to check it out as well. For me, I think Resident Evil is, in terms of interest for me, has come and gone. But 6, like I said, looked really appealing. And like anything else, I'll give it a shot, see if it's any good. But we'll find out what happens November 20th. All right, guys, short gaming news this week. Let's jump into what I'm aptly going to title from now on, movie and TV news, because there's a lot of TV news that dropped this week as well that I want to share with you guys. So let's not beat this up any further and jump right into it. Had to give some love to the Muppets this week. It is what it is. You don't like them? Fuck you. Anyway, first off... TV Line is reporting that the CW has ordered pilot a pilot um a pilot for a Green Lan- a Green Lantern excuse me a Green Arrow television series. For those of you not familiar with the Green Arrow character, um, he is Oliver Queen and he's a billionaire that obviously leads a double life as Green Arrow. You may be familiar with him for his work in Smallville, where Green Arrow was played by Justin Hartley. Justin Hartley started off as a guest character and later became a regular cast member. I don't know if Hartley's the one that's going to be involved, but I think that if you've gone through this trouble of setting up a character with an actor that's already recognized for his work, you should give him a shot at Green Arrow. I think doing a young Green Arrow series might work. You have to make sure to keep it 
dark like you've done with his character, but also try and pull some stuff out of the books, do some stuff with Black Canary. And honestly, this could be a great period for the DC Universe and the CW. Maybe you want to do, I don't know, maybe two or three seasons with a character like Green Arrow, tell his story, get people involved, introduce new characters, and then pluck another character out of the DC Universe and give them the small screen treatment. I think doing things like that keeps people interested. You set yourself with a certain timeline to get a show out. And it just makes the character more engaging because the the thing that killed Smallville, in my opinion, was that you reached a point in the seasons where it was like, okay, can he just turn into fucking Superman already? It made watching the show a chore, in my opinion. Honestly, you do maybe two or three seasons and you tell a story from start to finish. You got a big arc. You wrap things up and you close things out. Simple as that. I think the DC Universe has a lot of great characters that would benefit. I mean, I'd like to see a, a character like Vigilante. You could do Vigilante. Hawk and Dove. Uh, Deathstroke. I think a Deathstroke... <clears throat> a Deathstroke series would be good. Fuck. Whew. I don't know what happened. Losing my voice and some air. You know what? I'm going to take a commercial break and get some water, since clearly I'm fucking dying. I will be right back. wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you save me? This is the deal of the century, people, I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight, tumbling with tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m.? blogtalkradio.com Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? Alright, that's a lot better. Props to Don Anderson for his commercial saving my ass. Anyway, <clears throat> as I was saying, the, the CW Network would benefit from doing shows with some of these more obscure DC characters. A character like Deathstroke you could do a lot with I think he would be a character that would benefit having a show on a cable network, given the amount of violence that is involved in his character. But I think that they really just drag out their live shows, and Slick mentioned it as well in the chat. I think, like I said, three seasons, you tell a, a, a quick Green Arrow story, get people interested, introduce a couple of other characters, boom, you're done. Seems the CW, besides getting a pilot for Green Arrow, wants to do a pilot for a Sex and the City prequel called The Carrie Diaries and a Beauty and the Beast update as well. I'm sure that the Sex and the City prequel will suck, because if you leave out the copious amounts of foul language, naughty behavior, and nudity, it's not going to be the same. But who knows, the CW has done really well with the Vampire Diaries. I don't watch it, but I know my wife does, and Slick does as well. And I saw a fucking decapitation on that show, which I have to admit was a very impressive decapitation for broadcast television. So, who knows what the fuck is going to happen with them. In some other TV news, NBC has ordered the development of a TV series based on Dracula. Deadline reports that they've ordered a new show based on Dracula set in the 1890s and are describing the show as a mix of dangerous liaisons meets the Tudors. As of right now, the project is 
what's being called a script-to-series deal, meaning that if NBC gives the show a go-ahead once the script is done, it will go straight to, the te- straight to television and will not require a pilot phase. I guess they're trying to capitalize on the success of Grimm, and they're also doing the same thing with the Monsters reboot, and also a Hannibal Lecter series is going to get the script-to-series fast-track. So, I don't know, I think we're getting an oversaturation of vampire television. I mean, you got true blood, you got the vampire diaries, you got, well, even like the supernatural stuff, you know, you got supernatural aptly named, of course, teen wolf, uh, American horror story. There's too much going on. Just take advantage of what you got. And especially with Dracula, who's such a, who has, who has such a cult following, especially from the various incarnations that he's had, you're going to give him the small screen treatment which I know is going to be extremely tame. Strider Cage, props for mentioning being human as well. Um, it's true, I think. A Dracula TV show? Ugh. Ah, Slick as well. Thanks for mentioning The Secret Circle, another supernatural show as well. Now, the next bit of news I read, a lot of people already are annoyed. I'm not saying that it's going to suck. But, um, I'll just share it with you. Another story out of Entertainment Weekly, Joss Whedon is saying that the Avengers is going to be from Captain America's perspective. He went on to say the following, I set out with a very simple problem. There is no reason for these people to be in the same movie. So that's what my movie is going to be about. So much of the movie takes place from Steve Rogers' perspective since he's the guy who just woke up to see and sees this weird ass world everyone else has been living in. I, a lot of people are saying that it's really shitty to tell the 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 mo- to do the movie from Captain America's perspective, but I do have to give credit where credit is due. It's true. You're going to start an ensemble movie with a bunch of guys and not explain how the fuck they got together? Makes no sense. We're just going to magically wake up and say, hey, we're all friends, let's form a team. No. There has to be a level of storytelling in there that will set everything up in a way that is easily accessible to the audience. A lot of people that are going in there may know only what they've seen in the films. They may not know the level of detail that comic fans know when it comes to these movies. Some people are just going to go in there and be like, oh, you know, another kick-ass Marvel movie. Let me go and see it. So telling it from Captain America's perspective is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, if you overdo that, it may suck, but telling most of it from Captain America's perspective, in my opinion, is not the worst thing. In some other TV news, and this is via Shock, Shock Till You Drop, A&E is developing a new TV series called The Bates Motel about, clearly, Norman Bates. Here's the announcement from A&E, and I'll share it with you guys. Bates Motel serves as a prequel to the most famous fright film of all time, Psycho. A&E is currently in script development. Uh, Bates Motel will give viewers an intimate understanding of how Norman Bates' psyche developed from his childhood through his teen years. Fans will have access to the dark, twisted backstory and learn firsthand how his mother, Norma, and her lover damaged Norman, helping forge the most well-known serial-killing motel owner in history. Okay. Great. 
You want to do a prequel about Psycho. What are you going to do every week? Have Norman Bates kill a different person? Maybe his mom touched him where the, where the pants don't shine. Simple as that. Where the, pan, where the, where the sun doesn't shine. Maybe, maybe his, his mom touched him. Maybe that's why Norman Bates is fucked up. Maybe that maybe her boyfriend touched him. How much can you really do with Norman Bates' character? The guy dresses as his mother and kills women in bathrooms. The fuck else are you gonna do? Is he gonna kill a different person every week? And again, cable cable shows are fantastic, and there's a lot of great original cable programming. But trying to do a prequel to Psycho is really not gonna work i don't see it being something that can last more than maybe one season but it seems that cable networks especially with all the great shows on fx and usa and even sci-fi have opened up the floodgates for people to dabble in some of these other genres so we'll see what a and e does personally i think it's gonna fail miserably but (sighs) stranger things have happened for those of you that are fans of the comic book hack slash, be on the lookout because it is getting the big screen treatment. Marcus Nispel, who directed Conan, is working with um, with a couple of other writers to bring Hack Slash to the screen. For those of you not familiar, the film follows Cassie Hack, a horror victim who takes revenge on horror monsters known as slashers, alongside a disfigured but gentle giant named Vlad who wears a gas mask. Once again, dipping into the comic book archives to bring stuff to the silver screen. I know a couple of people that are huge fans of Hack Slash, and if it's done terribly, they're going to be very, very, very upset. Marcus Nispel already has pissed off fans of Conan with his half-assed portrayal of the Sumerian. So, at this point, what's the worst that could happen? It can end really, really well, or it can end really, really shitty. Personally, I like the violence in the Conan film. It was solid in my opinion. It wasn't the worst thing I've seen, but bringing these comic book adaptations to life, eh. Aliens vs. Predator is definitely an adaptation that was not that great. Strider, once again, on fire. Let's get into the box office totals. Contraband was number one. Beauty and the Beast 3D was number two. With $189.8 million total already, might I add. Mission Impossible was three. Joyful Noise was 4, Sherlock Holmes was 5, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was 6, The Devil Inside was 7, Alvin and the Chipmunks Chipwrecked was 8, The War Horse was 9, and The Iron Lady was number 10. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Dracula is getting the small screen treatment, but guess what? Dracula is also coming back to the silver screen with a World War II spin on the Dracula tale. Shock Till You Drop is reporting that the film titled Fangs of War is written by Jeffrey Gunn and is being directed by Jim Donovan with production scheduled to begin in the spring. Let me share with you guys the synopsis. The year is 1944. The Nazi Supernatural Division has taken Castle Dracula and set up a secret lab with one purpose and one purpose only to unlock the secret behind the legendary Count Dracula's immortality. The Allies, however, aren't blind to the Nazis' ambition thanks to their man behind enemy lines, OSS agent R.M. Renfield. But when Renfield goes dark in Transylvania, it's up to Lieutenant Jonathan Harker to bring him back, along with the vital intel discovered at Castle Dracula. 
Begrudgingly, Harker accepts the mission and travels with Dr. John Seward to Romania, where they meet up with members of Harker's old covert ops team, Texas sharpshooter Quincy Morris and the beautiful and brainy Anna Van Helsing. Together, they plan a daring assault on Castle Dracula, but there's more than just Nazis waiting for them behind the castle walls. Dracula himself and his bloodlusting brides have a plan of their own, and they will stop at nothing to see it come to fruition. It will take every ounce of strength and every shred of ingenuity that Harker and his team possess if they're to survive the night and stop both the Nazis and Dracula from reaching their goals. Haven't we seen this before? Wasn't this called fucking Blood Rain? Wasn't this called Hellboy? It's always the fucking Nazis. I... Alright. You want to do the Nazis and Dracula. Great. What are you going to do? Stab Dracula with a bayonet? Shoot him with, with some fucking antiquated guns? Maybe Dracula will put on a Nazi uniform. Come on, Hollywood. Seriously? That's what you got? That is what you got. Ugh. Slick is giving me shit because I like the mortals. I did. Visually, it was fun. Was it Oscar-worthy? Absolutely not. But visually, it was awesome. Much like Sucker Punch. Ah, yes. I've been looking forward to talking about this particular bit of news since I read it in the New York Times, and it involves my favorite flannel shirt-wearing mouth breather, George Lucas. George Lucas has been busy promoting Red Tails, which is going to be out in theaters this weekend, and during the during the time that he's been doing press for the for the upcoming film, he's given us quite a few sound bites. First off, he's saying that he's going to be stepping away from the business and doing smaller, more personal films. He gave himself an out clause to make the fifth Indiana Jones film, but allegedly he wants to do more personal stuff. The funny thing about this entire interview, in my opinion, was the fact that he was asked about doing more Star Wars films. And he said the following, Why would I make any more when everybody yells at you all the time and says what a terrible person you are? Now, I wanted to share that statement with you guys because here's the beauty of this. Dear George, hopefully you're listening. I doubt that, you know, Skywalker Ranch doesn't have iTunes handy for you to listen to this broadcast, but here's what I got to tell you about your fucking statement. The whole reason why people give you shit about Star Wars is because you continuously use the series as a fucking cash grab. You're going to release Star Wars 17 times on DVD, a thousand times on Blu-ray. Then to make matters worse, you're re-releasing them all in 3D. How about you just release the original ones in a fucking box set and stop altering and re-altering and changing and, and adding and doing all this crazy shit and just release the movies that people enjoyed from the start. That's what pisses people off. You go, you, you put out the movies, you make the trilogy, the trilogy is met with a lukewarm response, but it's largely enjoyed by most people. Then you decide, I'm going to release them on DVD, not once, not twice, but three fucking times. You got the full screen version, the widescreen version, the remastered version, and every time you keep adding shit to them, you fuck them up more and you piss the fans off more. That's why they give you shit. You create fucking 
assholes like Jar Jar Banks. Oh look, I stepped in shit. Poodoo doo doo. Jar Jar Misa say. It's like what the fuck, you fucking labia with legs. Who gives a fuck about you stepping in shit? Why would you do that? Jar Jar Binks is a walking pussy. That's what he is. Giant, floppy-eared labia with legs. Get get the fuck out of here. And then you get mad that people yell at you and say you're a terrible person. Yes, you fucking flannel shirt-wearing dick, because you have Star Wars The Ice Cream Bars, Star Wars The Ice Cube Trays, Star Wars Pens, Star Wars Tampons, Star Wars Toilet Paper. But wait, there's more. Star Wars in 3D, Star Wars in 4D, Star Wars The Porno, Star Wars The double de- the Double-Headed Dildos. Yes, thank you, Slick. Come on, dude. You're you're optioning this shit out like it's going out of style. How many different fucking Ewok Christmas ornaments do we really need? How many shiny light effects does the Death Star need when it explodes? Come the fuck on, dude. Seriously. And then you bitch that people complain. Of course they complain. Because they go and they spend $100 to buy your fucking box set for probably the third time. And then you get a bug up your ass and say, I'm going to release the ultra remastered Leia Bun super special set. Which comes with Darth Vader's mouth breathing attachment and an extra lightsaber. Come on, dude. For you to sit there and complain that people yell at you and call you a terrible person. Yes, because what you do is you unzip your fly, you whip out your fuzzy Ewok dick, and fuck people's pockets. That's what you do. Every time. They spoofed you in Spaceballs. In Spaceballs. About all the shit that you do. Merchandising, merchandising. It's true. It's ridiculous. And I like Star Wars, I do. I really like the shit. I've bought most incarnations of it. When it came out on DVD, I bought the widescreen version, then I bought the full screen version. I am one of those assholes. And yes, I want to buy it on Blu-ray because I sold all my DVD versions because I said, oh, I'll buy the Blu-ray one. And then you're probably going to turn around and create another box set that's in fucking 3D with more shit added in. But yet, we the fans are guilty because we are tired of you finger-fucking us with your flannel shirt, you mouth-breezing, muddy mud-skipper-looking motherfucker. It's absurd! Just take muddy mud-skipper from fucking Nickelodeon and throw a flannel shirt on him and you get George Lucas. Seriously. You created Jar Jar Binks, you stupid bastard. You decided that you're going to give the Ewoks fucking... You're going to make them blink. You're going to make them blink because that's fucking important. How about this? She's dead. No! What the fuck was wrong with you? What was wrong with you for that? You mouth-breathing fucking piece of shit. And, And the gall, the gall for you to sit there and make it seem like you're entitled to get mad you're entitled to get mad because we the consumer are tired of you raping our fucking pockets how many fucking versions of this film do we need and then you bitch you sit there and you bitch like hollywood hasn't been good to you like countless fanboys haven't poured out thousands upon thousands of fucking dollars to sleep outside the theater to see your movie for the 80th fucking time you piece of shit 
and you bitch. You sit there and you bitch. You have a fucking Skywalker wrench, you tubby flannel piece of shit. And you complain. But yeah, you give me a blowfish that looks like a twat with legs, and I'm supposed to sit here and accept that. You make me spend 90 fucking dollars on your Blu-ray box set. Then you turn around and say, hey, guess what, fuckbags? I'm putting it on in 3D. Then you go and you get with Steven Spielberg and you do another Indiana Jones that is stupid with Shia Gwynn pretending to be fucking James Dean and some of, the mo- some of the most bullshit action sequences I've seen in recent memory. I'm going to swing with a whole bunch of monkeys, because I speak monkey language. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah, go after the Russians! Come the fuck on, dude! And you, and you bitch! You, you bitch and complain that we, the viewer, are wrong for questioning what you fucking do. Our pockets are tired. You want to go and retire and make artsy-fartsy fucking films? Peace the fuck out. Because we're tired of you and your shit. Ugh. The nerve. The fucking nerve. Why would I make any more when everybody yells at you all the time saying what a terrible person you are? Yes, you fucking fuck. Ugh. Never have I gotten so angry reading a statement like that. It's it's ridiculous. It... You get you you bitch you complain you complain that you're taking our money and that we're willingly we're willingly giving it to you and you complain fuck that I I I can't believe that I cannot honestly sit here with a with a straight face and say that it doesn't infuriate me to read that we give you our money but yet we can't complain we can't complain that there are that, that there's going to be at least two more versions of Star Wars in high def. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to get a 3D version, and then you're going to get an ultimate edition with the 3D, the regular definition, extra shit added, plus the cartoons. And I, and I want to... I wanna, acknowledge what Strider said. Strider wrote in the chat room, all due respect to George Lucas, he put his money on Red Tails, even knowing an all-black casted movie won't get marketed worldwide. And I do acknowledge that. But you know what? He's doing a remake of the Tuskegee Airmen film that was on HBO. The story's been told already. All he's doing is adding dubstep and, 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 and fucking special effects. That's all he's doing. Dubstep commercials and special effects. So yes, I commend him for bringing the story to the big screen. Great. But he's basically remaking the Tuskegee Airmen on fucking HBO. Seriously. Like, the only thing I do want to say is that it's bringing more African-American actors to the big screen. That's it. Because seriously, what the fuck is Cuba Gooding Jr. doing lately? He ain't doing much, but you know what? More power to him. Same thing with Terrence Howard. I bet you bitching about complaining Rhodey and Iron Man, uh, you know, is biting you in the ass now, isn't it, Terrence? But seriously, I I have no problem with Red Tails. I honestly want to see it. It looks like something I'd enjoy. It's a, it's, a, it's a decent popcorn film. Will I go and spend twelve fifty on it? Fuck no. Will I go and, and see that shit in IMAX or, or eye-blowing 3D? Nope. Maybe I'll watch it on cable. Maybe it'll stream on Netflix. That's it. If you want to see a good story about the Tuskegee Airmen, watch the movie from HBO. It was one of the best films 
that I've seen about the Tuskegee Airmen, period. It was, sure, it was on HBO, and not too many people talked about it, but it was solid. It was solid. This thing that George Lucas is putting out, sure, you know, like I said, it's giving African American actor it's giving African American actors a main stage, but it's not it's not historic. It's dubstep, it's shit exploding. It's basically the Tuskegee Airmen Michael Bay edition. That's what you're seeing. So sure, you, you can go and support it to support the actors and support African Americans in films, but I refuse to sit here and support George Lucas, the man, when he can sit here and say that I'm not entitled to complain that he's raped my pockets 19 different ways. Simple as that. Now, and I'm sure that Slick, Helmet, and Strider will all appreciate the what the fuck movie news I have for you guys to close things out. Many of you that have listened to the show know how much I enjoyed The Expendables it was unenjoyable, R-rated, uh, testosterone fest of shit blowing up. It, it put hair on your chest after you watched it. So, everybody was super excited about The Expendables 2. Chuck Norris, you know, Van Damme, countless other actors. Liam Hemsworth, Bruce Willis, Schwarzenegger. Well, as much as you guys... We're excited about Expendables 2. Prepare yourselves for this. Expendables 2 will be rated PG-13. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what the fuck is going on? Expendables 2 will be rated PG-13 because of Chuck Norris. Oh my god! Ah! 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 Oh, that's better. Ah! 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 Here you go! Ah! 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 No. I am not joking, and I'll tell you why. Chuck Norris did an interview recently discussing his involvement in the film. Chuck Norris said the following, and I quote, In Expendables 2, there was a lot of vulgar dialogue in the screenplay. For this reason, many young people wouldn't be able to watch this. But I don't play in movies like this. Due to that, I said I wouldn't be a part of... Of, I wouldn't be a part of that if the hardcore language was not erased. Producers accepted my conditions and the movie will be classified in the category of PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, Chuck Norris has removed his testicles and put them in a purse. Sylvester Stallone confirmed the story as follows. The PG-13 rumor is true, Stallone said. But before your readers pass judgment, trust me when I say this film is large in every way and delivers on every level. This movie touches on many emotions, which we want to share with the broadest audience possible. But fear not. This barbecue of grand-scale ass-bashing, he said that ass-bashing, will not leave anyone hungry. So yes, ladies and germs... Chuck Norris has decided that because the language 
in that film is too hardcore that the only way he would be involved is if the film is PG-13. not to suck there's no way that the expendables at pg-13 will be any good it, it is impossible it is in fucking possible that it'll work last time i checked when we watched expendables one we looked forward to shit like this you are the ass kick E, I am the ass kick er. That's what you look forward to. Shit like that. Violence. Uh, knives getting plunged in people's chests. Bullets blowing bodies apart. Now, PG 13. P- Why would you do that? Any one of those guys that did an action movie when we were growing up were R rated. Chuck Norris, you are in fucking Delta Force. That shit was R-rated. You were in you were in fucking movies with Lee Marvin. R-rated. What the fuck happened to you? What happened? Did, did Walker Texas Ranger make you a complete pussy? I'm sorry, Chuck Norris facts be damned. But if you're gonna sign on to a fucking movie. With, uh, with with action superstars, you know there's going to be violence, you know there's going to be shit blowing up. And you decided that in order for you to appeal to the young people, that the entire film must be PG-13. You're out of your fucking mind. And Stallone turns around and accepts that, like a bitch. Honestly, I wouldn't have given a fuck if Chuck Norris was in that movie. Only the people that are hardcore Chuck Norris nut huggers and and diehards would have given a shit. I was happy that Van Damme was in it. That's all. He's the only action guy other than Seagal that was missing. I didn't give a shit that Chuck Norris would have been in it. Van Damme, Steven Seagal, Jeff Speakman. Why don't you dig up Jeff Speakman? Why don't you dig up Mimi Lesios, Cynthia Rothrock, um... Who the fuck else was re- did was really lame did really lame action films? Dig up all those guys. Why don't you dig any of them up and throw them in there? I bet you you could have still done an R-rated movie. What is Cynthia Rothrock doing? What 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 is the bad what is uh Daniel ba- Zabka or Babka whatever the, f- the bad guy from Karate Kid? What is Johnny Lawrence doing? What is he doing other than putting people in body bags? What is he doing? Mark DeCoscos, thank you, Strider. What the fuck are those guys doing that you couldn't give me an R-rated Expendables? No, we gotta take our nuts, put them in a purse, and any type of awesomeness this film had is gone. You know what it's gonna be? People getting killed off screens, and lots of explosions, and that's it. Explosions and people screaming and getting killed off screen. You're not gonna see somebody get stabbed in the heart, or their neck broken, or you're not gonna see somebody called a fucking asshole, or a motherfucker... Nothing. Because Chuck Norris is way too soft. Yuck. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going <laughs> to wrap up the show for this evening. Uh, I, I'm heartbroken. 
I'm heartbroken that The Expendables 2 will be PG-13. Heartbroken. And George Lucas, you're a fuck. You flannel-shirted ass. Alright. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 124 for Thursday, January 19th, 2012. If you have any questions or concerns or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com is the email address you should use. If you want to leave any feedback on our feedback line, which will be played on air, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. Leave your feedback and it will be played on air. You don't want it played? Please make sure to specify that in your message, and I will gladly hear it and share it with the audience verbatim, and leave your name out. Social networks. You can follow us on Twitter, My Take Radio. Follow us in the in the hell known as MySpace, myspace.com forward slash MyTakeRadio. I haven't logged into that shit in like two years, but it's there if you if you still use it. Become a fan on Facebook. Ask us questions on Formspring, formspring.me slash mytakeradio. Add us to your circle on Google+. If you want to listen to MTR on your mobile device, pick up the My Take Radio app. It's $1.99, available in the Android Marketplace or in the Amazon Android Marketplace or via iTunes. It'll give you access to 96K versions of all episodes of MTR. You'll also get access to exclusive content, including MTR Behind the Mic and MTR Beyond the Mic, which are our interview series. You'll also get access to the Minority Film Report, and we're working on other exclusive content for the app. Last but not least, you can listen to My Take Radio on Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, iTunes, The Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, Miro, and simulcast live on Mixler when it decides to work. Last but not least, thanks to Slick as always for working behind the scenes every week to help the show and be on the lookout for content from the MTR staff. This week, the SOPA blackout is over, everybody's back to work, and we will be developing some new stuff for you guys in the coming weeks. Keep an eye out on our Twitter and our Facebook fan page for further developments. And before I leave, I do want to say that I was particularly bummed out that we got four tickets for CZW Wrestling that we were not able to give away. I didn't rant and rage about it on the opening monologue because I'm frankly at the point where if you want to help out the show, great. If not, fuck it. Simple as that. I will catch you guys next week. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Please take a moment, if you're getting the shows via iTunes, to rate the show. Helps us move up the rankings and increases the exposure for our product. Catch you guys next week for MTR number 125. Peace. I figured to take us out this week, we are going to go with the Streets of Rage 2 Go Back, available at ocremix.org.